0: If you're able, let's stand and we'll start John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54, right up to the end of the chapter. And so it starts like this So he, that's Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you, and you see a little two there, right? It the, it's, means it's plural. Unless you people, you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Verse 51, As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour When his son began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, it's about 1 p.m., the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and his whole household believed. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. All right, may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, this is a story about believing. Believing. How do we come to believe? What does it mean to believe? If we believe now, can we come to believe more later on? Can we grow in our believing? Now notice, I don't say belief. I don't say faith. Because John, in the Gospel of John, never once says that. Never once says belief. Never once says faith. Unlike Paul or Peter, or James, or even John in his letters, the Gospel of John never once uses the noun belief. He never speaks of faith as something you possess or you lose as a thing. He speaks of believing only as a verb, as something you do. Okay? Faithing, as one of my seminary professors used to say to get our attention. Faithing. So faith is a dynamic thing for John. It's, it's not static. Faith moves and it moves us. Last week, Pastor Heath shared us with us about the first sign uh, in Cana, in the wedding, when John says, after Jesus turns the water to wine, that his disciples believe. Well, what were they doing before, right? <laughs> They're disciples, you know? That's kind of your job, So they're disciples, but they don't believe, right? And then what about later in the story when they all abandon Jesus at his great hour of need? Do they believe then? You see the problem with looking at belief as just solely in terms of a thing, a noun that you either have or you don't. Now that is true, but it's not the whole truth, so help me God, right? Believe, I believe, help my unbelief. Isn't that true to our experience? So this is important because believe, you might say, is John's favorite word. He uses the word believe uh, 98 times in his gospel, which is more than any other key word in the gospel of John. Uh, And almost half of all the times that believe or faith or belief show up in the New Testament. So the gospel is about believing. So the disciples believe, as we saw last week. Jesus' neighbors in Galilee, they believe, but Jesus doesn't believe them. (laughs) He doesn't trust them necessarily because Uh, John tells us their believing was solely based on the miracles that they had seen Jesus do, okay? Later, this is important in John chapter 12, John will tell us that many throughout Israel, even authorities, they believe, but John says for fear of the Pharisees, they wouldn't confess it publicly. They didn't want to get canceled or crucified, right? So they believed, but they wouldn't Admit it out loud. And now recall, as he shared with us, John's whole thesis statement, his whole purpose in writing the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he says it is that we might come to believe, and that by believing, we would have life, eternal life, in the name of Jesus. And all this is really, really important because it helps us understand what's going on in this tiny little story where the word believe shows up three times. This is the story of a man who moves rather rapidly through what we might rather artificially call the stages of believing, okay? Uh, And then whose believing then spreads to his whole household, as we often see in the book of Acts, okay? So imagine with me for a moment that you are at an art gallery at an art exhibit. And the the gallery is for a man who is a renowned artist, and he's very old now, and he's putting on an exhibit that celebrates his work. Now, in that gallery, are you going to see every single work that the man has ever produced in his life? No, right? He selects, he curates a few, because he wants you to linger with them And be moved by the pieces of art that he has curated, that he has selected. And this is exactly how John's gospel works. It's funny, John says, you know, if he included every miracle that Jesus ever did, the whole world wouldn't fit all the books that would have to be written. Isn't that funny? Uh, No, rather he picks seven. He selects seven to move us to believing. To move us as we linger with these signs of Jesus. So we may already consider ourselves believers. I know most of you do. That's why you're here, okay? Some of you might be like kind of believers or you've been dragged here by a friend, okay? Uh, Some of you might not consider yourself a believer, but the important thing is that this gospel is for all of us. It's for all of us this side of eternity who want to experience abundant life now. As Heath shared with us, eternal life starts now. For John, eternal life starts now, and believing is a verb, right? It's not a a ticket to the afterlife, okay? That's not all it is. It's tasting heaven now by believing now. That's what John's gospel is about. So let's see if we might find ourselves being moved by this story today to believing to believing. So verse 46 and 54, the book ends of our little story here today. Jesus comes back to Cana in Galilee, where John says he had made the water wine a couple chapters ago. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And then the last verse, this was now the second sign that Jesus had done when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So notice John doesn't want us to miss what's going on. As a reader, he's like holding your hand, okay? Telling you how to read it. He doesn't want you to miss the fact that we're supposed to read these two miracle stories together. They're in the same, you know, they're in the Cana room at the art exhibit, okay? We're supposed to consider them together. And there's a very similar pattern in the two stories, you might notice. Number one, in both stories, we see that there is a basic Human need. Ordinary human need. Uh oh, we're out of wine. My son is ill. Ordinary stuff of life. Second, there is a rebuff from Jesus. It's a fun word rebuff. Okay, a rebuff from Jesus. He almost rudely seems to kind of put them off. You know, woman, it's not my time yet. Unless you people see signs and wonders you'll never believe. And yet, there's persistence. The person who's asking, making a request of Jesus, doesn't give up. And so number four, Jesus responds with an order. There's an order given and an order obeyed. Fill the jars with water. Okay, it's going to be a lot of water, but all right, we'll do it. Fill the jars with water or go home. It's an order given and then there's an order obeyed. And then crucially, there is a sign that is recognized only by those who obey. So it's only the servants who know where the wine came from, right? And now it's only this man who recognized what just happened when Jesus heals his son. So the pattern is repeated because John wants us to notice it, and it's important. And so we'll come back to it. But let's uh, consider context for a moment, put our geography pants on, okay? So Jesus has come from Jerusalem, And he goes up through Judea, which is in the the region around Jerusalem. And he goes up and he goes through Samaria, has a rather famous conversation with a woman at a well. And then uh, further north into Galilee, where he meets a Gentile, which means non-Jewish official. And we're getting a a neat little bit of foreshadowing here. So remember, Jesus will tell his disciples to go make disciples where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this official, in a way, is, stands in for all of us at the ends of the earth, right? He stands in for all of us uh, who are non-believers or kind of believers who, you know, have come to Jesus in a desperate hour because we heard that he is near and he can help. But he's not just a Gentile. He's a ruler. He's an official, a basilicas, a royal official, This man works for the king, for King Herod, Antipas, down in his nice lakefront palace in Capernaum. So that's important because this man, socially speaking, far outranks Jesus, the wandering rabbi from little Nazareth. Okay, so this man has authority, but he does not have authority over life and death. Right, so even the president must submit to the authority of the physician. So he comes in his desperate hour to Jesus. And like last week, as we said, Jesus responds in a way that seems at first a bit rude, <laughs> if not downright inhuman. Unless you, and remember that's plural, so unless you guys, you people, yous guys, if you're from Philly or Chicago or something, y'all, if you're from the South, all right, unless you see signs and wonders, you all will not believe. So let's Use our imagination. Again, it's the best way to read the Gospels is enter into it imaginatively. So imagine he's, he's come here. It's about 16 miles. Uh, so from Capernaum, which is down by the sea, and you have to go southwest up into the mountains to Cana. So it's about the distance from VCC to Castro Valley. Okay, so it's, if you're in a hurry and you're on a horse, about a half-day trip. And so obviously he would have had to ask around to find Jesus. And so you can imagine, people nothing else to do. Oh, maybe Jesus is going to do a miracle. Let's, let's follow and let's see what happens. So this man probably is not alone. There's many witnesses to this encounter. And so, um, Jesus, or John, has already told us, by the way, that the reason Jesus is back in Galilee at all is he's laying low. He's trying to avoid exactly this kind of attention for the time being. It's not yet his hour, okay? So Jesus has no interest in, like, creating a scene to satisfy the curiosity of the looky-loos, okay? He's not a magician, all right? He is a rabbi, and so uh, you might imagine that at this moment a crowd of onlookers kind of disperses disappointed and shows over, guys. It's not going to do anything. Jesus isn't in the mood today, you know? But John, in the text, he doesn't, like, make that clear. He doesn't have Jesus pulling the man aside and being like, sir, I'll be right with you. I just need to talk with these folks for a moment, you know. Jesus says to him and to all of them, the same thing. All John tells us is that the man doesn't seem to be put off. He says to Jesus, he speaks for the first time, right? Sir, come down before my child dies. This man is not here looking for a sign. He's not here looking to be entertained, He's not a spiritual shopper. He's not worrying about believing or not believing. He's probably like, okay, please, can you come with me down to Capernaum, lay hands on my son and heal him, please? Respectfully but forcefully. And this is where for a moment I think we might need to check our suspicion of miracle stories. This man would not have shared that. Uh, For this man, the idea of a rabbi or a healer of some kind, coming to a bedside to lay hands, to pray, to perform a miracle, would totally be within the realm of possibility. It would still be miraculous, it would still be amazing, but it was within the realm of possibility, as would being told, no, I didn't come for you, right? You're not a Jew, you're not my people, or you're not worthy, no. What was totally new and what was unheard of was what Jesus said, Go, your son will live. Or more literally, go, your son lives. Thy son liveth, as the King James has it. It's like a proclamation. And then John tells us the man does exactly that. He obeys the order. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. There's much more to that verse than meets the eye. Remember what John says. Many believe in Jesus. Why? Because of what they've seen him do. Because of the miracles, right? What they've seen him do. This man believes the word he heard him speak. See that? Many believe in Jesus because of what they've seen him do. This man believes the word he heard them speak. As Paul puts it in Romans, faith comes by hearing. Yeah, and hearing through the word of Christ. Word of Christ. Yes, word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. So it might help us to make a distinction between what we might call sign faith and saving faith. See, a sign may lead to saving faith, but a sign is insufficient in itself to save us. A sign is insufficient in itself to save us. Have you ever asked God for a sign? You ever done that? Like, God, just give me a sign. I think we've all been there. Um, When I was 17 years old, I'm very excited because I've been waiting 15 years to tell this story, okay? For the right sermon to come along, and this is it, all right? Um, So one of the very first times that I ever hung out with my wife, Brittany... Uh, was when, well, we were not married at 17, not that weird, okay? We were married at 21, so kind of weird. But we were hanging out, and the reason we were hanging out is we were assigned uh, to pick memory verses for our Ensenada mission trip, which apparently we've been doing for a while, okay? Um, So all the students on the trip had to memorize verses in order to go, and so we were picking out the verses. And so we're sitting there, we're flirting, we're picking out Bible verses at our house. And the Bible is sitting on the ottoman. And Brittany turns on the ceiling fan. And then the pages, like, mystically, they blow, right? And we're like, what? You know, so we, like, go over. And I'm like, I'm going to put my finger down on the page. And we're going to read the first verse that's there. And so I put it down. And it's John 4:48 unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And we were like, oh, you know, we freaked out. we like, oh my gosh, like what has happened? You know, it was this freaky moment, seemed like a sign. We didn't know for what. It seemed like kind of a rebuke. Um, and so we like sat further apart, you know. Um, and here's the thing, that moment was cool. And it maybe was like one Tiny little card more in the castle of reasons to maybe think God is real. (laughs) But did that moment mature me more into the image of Christ? Did that moment make me more surrendered to the will of God in obedience? Did that moment make me filled with more joy and peace in the Holy Spirit? You can ask Brittany, I assure you it did not. (laughs) And I admit this this was not as significant as healing a dying son. And maybe it's not a miracle at all. But here's the thing about sign faith. Sign faith wants to remain in control. Sign faith wants to determine the terms and conditions. You do a sign, I will believe. It's ultimately impersonal. In sign faith, there's still like a line in the sand. You know, unconscious or conscious, where I trust you and where I don't. Where you have authority and where you don't. And I kind of move the line. And this is why Jesus will later say, even to his own disciple, Thomas, Have you believed because you've seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed. See, sign faith is not blessed. Right? Right? Uh, It's not what Paul calls in Romans being filled with all joy and peace in believing. Because joy and peace, such qualities come with acceptance and surrender and relationship, not demands and conditions and performance. So we often, myself included, we harbor this illusion, especially when we're less mature in our faith. We harbor this illusion that if we would surrender, we would believe if we saw a sign. But in the Bible, that's actually exactly backwards. It's exactly backwards. As we'll see in a moment, the man does not receive the sign until he has obeyed the order, right? Until he has surrendered in believing obedience to the command and promise of Jesus. He receives the sign after he has surrendered in believing obedience to the command and promise of Jesus. So Jesus says, Go, thy son liveth. And he goes. He goes. So verse 51 to the end. The man begins the journey there and back again. He's going back home. And let's use our imagination again here. He's got to have some questions, right? About what just happened. He, He can't, you know, text his wife and be like, you know, how's little, whatever his name was, you know? Um, He's got to have some questions. He believes the word, so he believes that his son will live, but my guess is he just assumes that Jesus had some kind of supernatural knowledge of the situation as a prophet might, right? But then as he's walking on the road and he's pondering the words of Jesus, some of his servants come running up, probably earlier than he had expected. Joyful looks on their faces. Your son lives, they call out. And perhaps it was at that very moment that he begins to entertain a wild idea. He goes, wait a minute. What time did my son begin to get better? And he said it was at one o'clock, seventh hour. Fever just broke. It was just broke. Point of death. And the man goes, Who in the world did I just talk to? That man just healed my son from almost 20 miles away. Who has the authority to just create life with a word? I thought I was looking for a Jewish rabbi. I think I might have just found the Jewish God. And he believes. I remember a few years ago, my son Levi had croup. Uh, and it was this gross sickness, and it was terrifying. We called the nurse's helpline because it kept getting worse, and they said, you have to come in immediately Um, because his breathing was was getting really labored. And so we get in the car and have to drive all the way to Walnut Creek, right? And by the time we get there, his breathing is coming out in this tiny little whistle. It was terrifying, right? But imagine if I called from my home in Livermore... And the nurse says, "You don't have to come in. Thy son, li- no, no, your son is healed, and his breathing just snapped back to normal, and he stopped coughing, and his fever went away, and he was totally fine." I'd be like, "Who did I just talk to?" Right? I would need to know who I just talked to, and I would tell that story to everyone who knows me for the rest of my life, and that's exactly what happened. John says the man believed. So notice the progression in the story. He has something like sign faith. Okay? Something like sign faith. He, he just believes that Jesus can do something. He doesn't care at all who Jesus is. He cares about his son. Then he believes Jesus' word. He follows the order and he goes on his way, which you might say creates the possibility for more. Creates the possibility for the birth of saving faith. And finally, he receives the sign and he believes. He believes, and then he tells the story. He witnesses to his whole household and his whole family believes from his genuine belief. This is what John calls in chapter 3, being born again to eternal life. So we might conclude that this man got way more than he asked for. (laughs) He goes to beg life of his son, and he receives eternal life for himself, for his son, and his whole family. Isn't that just like Jesus This is a good story. This is a great story. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. The Son lives. It says it three times in this story. The Son lives. He is risen. That's the true sign in the gospel of John. That's what all the signs are leading us to. He is risen. He has authority over heaven and earth. Over life and death. And he wants to give us more than we actually know we want. Than we actually know how to ask for. Do you believe it? Do you believe it this morning? You might be like, I want to. Or I think so, but I don't feel that joy and peace in believing. So let's relook at the story quickly. And let's see if we can see ourselves in our own journey in this man. And see where we might have gotten lost along the way. So first of all, notice that the man is desperate. The man is desperate. He is not there looking for a sign. God, give me a sign way past that. He is there for the love of his son. But it's important to, to know <laughs> desperation born of love is the only acceptable reason to come to Jesus. Jesus. Jesus doesn't want our guarded religious curiosities. He's not interested in that. Jesus wants our real wants. He wants our wants. And the truth is, if we really reflect, the human situation for all of us is desperate. We are all in a desperate situation. We may just not notice it until we get that diagnosis or we get that phone call. Or imagine that there's hundreds of thousands in Ukraine that are having that realization That the human situation is desperate. But as humans, we are masters of deadening our desperate desire for God, for life with God, with distractions from the fact that the darkness of death is coming for us and our loved ones. And that was such a cheerful sentence. I'm going to say it again because I love you, okay? We are all masters at deadening our desperation for life with God with shiny distractions, pretending that the darkness of death is not coming for us and for our loved ones. When we feel that desperation, we usually just go like this, right? I feel a little better for two minutes. You cannot know Jesus until you allow yourself to be desperate, to feel the desperation. Jesus will not be, refuses to be, one more shiny distraction. He won't do it. He will give everything. He will give eternal life or he will give nothing. He's not a genie. He's not a vending machine. He will give everything or he will give nothing. So maybe you need to be desperate feel your desperation. Or second, remember last week what Mary said to the servants? Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. That's what the servants do. And that's what this official does. He goes. Your son will live. Okay. And he goes. So what's gnawing on your conscience? All right, when you make your fumbling attempt at prayer or go to the scriptures, speak with a loved one, go and do whatever he tells you. It'll be worth whatever you It costs you. Jesus is worth it. So we need to feel our desperation and bring it to Jesus. We need to do whatever Jesus tells us. Or finally, some of us might be on the way and we just need to keep going home. We just need to keep going and keep paying attention to what Jesus is up to in us and in our neighbors. Notice that the man recalled exactly the hour that he spoke with Jesus. I, ha- I have a feeling that, that Jesus is answering our desperate, sometimes unspoken prayers all the time, and we're not even noticing because we're not paying attention. So we're not growing in believing because we're not paying attention. So where are you today? Where are you today on the road? The sun lives. The sun lives. He is alive and he is near. And he can help. Believe. Believe. The son lives. Let's be desperate. Let's do whatever he tells you to do. And keep going. Keep paying attention. He is risen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this miraculous congregation that you have gathered together by your grace and by your spirit to be here today to read your word and sing your word and be built up in our most holy faith. I pray that your word would move us to believing. Many of us are struggling, lost, confused, doubting. I pray we would hear the words of the Apostle Peter in the Gospel of John this morning. Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So Lord, if we need to be desperate this morning, God, would you help us to bring our hearts to that place to come up and ask for prayer after the service. God, if we need to do whatever you tell us to do, don't let us walk out into the sunshine and merely forget. Let us resolve in our hearts to do your will. Give us the power and the courage to do what you've asked us to do. And if we merely need strength to keep going, help us to do so by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus, and pray that your worship, our worship would bring joy to your heart. It's the name of your Son we pray. Amen.